Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Eau Claire. A special Tuesday edition of Green and Gold Forever because both, uh, well, Matt just got back from lacrosse. I was in lacrosse last week, so no matter if Matt moves away from lacrosse, Green and Gold Forever just can't get enough of that town. We just keep going back repeatedly. Uh, and so because of that, we are having a one-day delayed show, but that's okay. We got just as much to talk about as we did uh, yesterday, and in fact, there's some new news on injuries that we can also address. The good news about Sunday was the Green Bay Packers defeated the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore 19-17. to It's the Packers' first road win in uh, five games since they defeated the Bears in December of last year to clinch the NFC North. They suffered some injuries, but once again, uh, running game showed up. Uh, had some other things going on that uh, we'll hopefully get into here. So, uh, Matt... Uh, I've struggled the last couple of days trying to decide uh, what to think of this game, and I have some very uh, mixed emotions about this one. But before we elaborate on that, I guess I'd like to hear your initial uh, reactions to what occurred on Sunday. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm uh, I'm really torn because it, that first half was about as hard as it, hard as it gets to watch. Uh, I mean, not obviously with just the injuries, but uh, I'm, I'm so sick of field goals at this point. <laughs> I, I couldn't handle watching that first half. I mean, I was... I'm always just glued to the TV, and in this first half, I was kind of like multitasking, doing other stuff. I was just so frustrated; it was so hard to watch, at least offensively. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm I'm hoping things kind of change here, but it's it's likely that they're going to stay close to the same now with uh, a few of our weapons out. Yeah, they had a really really rough first half uh, offensively. The defense played great. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's it's been the same thing for the the last two weeks. It's almost as if the bye week destroyed our offense. Uh, we were talking about how this was one of the the best offenses we've seen in a long time. I know they struggled somewhat in Cincinnati, but they still turned it on in that uh, second and third quarters of that game. Uh, but they were firing on all cylinders in the first three games, and then all of a sudden they. They can't do anything in the uh, red zone. It seems to be curious play calls at different times. And uh, Mason Crosby, I guess, has had the taken the most of his opportunity to redeem himself, having a, a really nice season. But I, I, I guess I don't really know how to react to this. And I, I feel like, on one hand, we should be incredibly excited that they were able to beat. Uh, the defending Super Bowl champions on their home turf, but on the other hand, there certainly is a lot of things they need to clean up. Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, what, there was four fumbles, I think, in the game. Yeah, um, two by Rodgers. Yeah, and it, I mean, it was just overall just ugly, and he just did not look sharp, and the play calling, like you had mentioned, was just kind of strange, and uh, there's a whole lot to clean up, but like you said, I, and I think obviously the bright spot, and we'll get more into this, but the defense was really good. Mm-hmm. And other than really the one lapse where they let, I think it was Jacoby Jones behind him in the fourth, um, they were just completely lights out. And I think a big shout out to some of the depth players that we had out there playing for uh, for some of the injured players, and they just played incredible. And we didn't lose a step without Clay out there. The defense looked as good as ever. And against not a great offense, but a They've got some weapons. They're not a terrible offense. Yeah, and I guess let's start with the defense in depth because it feels like a lot of times we start with the negatives because they're the most apparent, especially when you've had a pretty successful team. A.J. Hawk 
must have gotten replaced with like 2001 Brian Erlacher in the, <laughs> this year because he's been all over the place. And this team desperately needed a leader on that defense once Clay Matthews went out. And he's fit the role nicely, but he also hasn't been alone. Uh, there has been some great um, uh, step-up play from a lot of the guys on this defense who you really don't expect anything from. Yeah, it's been incredible what Hawk has done. I mean, at this point, we I think we felt like the book is pretty much written that he's you know not going to live up to the hype of a first-round pick. He's, he's a, a good linebacker, kind of average but is never really going to be a superstar. But he's played fantastic this year, and I think that this game was probably the best one that he's had as a Packer, and he was everywhere. Mm-hmm. I've got the stats up here in front of me, and I, he had 10 total tackles, 8 solos, 3 sacks, 5 tackles for losses, and 3 quarterback hits. So just an incredible stat line. So big props to him, obviously. I also thought uh, Jamari Lattimore only ended with 3 tackles, but I thought he played a really good game, too, mm-hmm. filling in. Mm-hmm. Um, other guys like Devon House played really well. Chris Banjo made some nice plays. So a lot of these depth guys coming in and, and stepping up, and it, they're going to need to keep doing it because from the looks of it, there's going to keep being more key injuries that we've got to fill in for. So it's a good thing we're deep. Yeah, and I guess I want to retract something that I put on the Facebook page yesterday about Nick Perry being out for the year. I, I saw it on Twitter, and normally um, Twitter has been pretty reliable, but... Um, I must have been looking at some unreliable sources because it looks like Nick Perry is not going to have a season-ending injury, according to Pro Football Talk, that is, and uh, WTMJ down in Milwaukee. But I don't have any kind of length of time for his injury. A broken foot sounds like something that has the potential to string on and on and on and on. So I guess I wouldn't expect him to be back anytime soon, but it was a little quick to rule him out. Uh, it kind of disappointing because I thought he played pretty well. Him and Mike Neal yep. both uh, seem to be pretty good at rushing the passer. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, he still very well could be out for the season, too. Like you said, a broken foot isn't something that you just come back from in a couple of weeks. So, I mean, at very best, he's going to be out a, a good chunk of the regular season. So, um, yeah, but Mike Neal played very well, too. Uh, all the guys stepping in at linebacker, and they're going to be, you would think, having to either call some guys up here or signing some street free agents because they're just absolutely thin at the linebacker position now. Maybe they'll go get uh, Dave Robinson and uh, maybe Bernardo Harris. Uh, they're going to have to go deep into the <laughs> into the well to get some guys. Yeah, I I don't know, and I don't want to get negative right away because I I feel like we do that a lot, but I I don't know what to say about injuries anymore. This is not me trying to be dramatic. I genuinely do not have anything left to say about injuries, but. They had a game break uh, showing, I, I believe it was a, a highlight to the earlier Packer game, and or it, it was just a, a game recap of the earlier games during the Patriots and Saints game. And even Troy Aikman was having the same reaction I'm having. He's like, you see teams get snake-bitten by injuries, and there's always a team every year that has it, but the Packers have it every single year, and he almost chuckled about it, not because he hates the Packers like most Packer fans think, but because he was genuinely flabbergasted as to how to explain why the Packers have a ridiculous amount of injuries like three of the last four years. And I don't know, maybe that's a question, it, it seems like it would divulge in as a, kind of a joke uh, topic, but how the... How does this keep happening? Like, it's genuinely making me angry. I don't understand how this can happen. You cannot be unlucky, you wouldn't think, three out of the last four years. 
Yeah, it's hard to believe. I mean, a lot of these things almost seem unavoidable. I mean, you could blame the trainers, and maybe that does have something to do with it for some of these injuries. But, I mean, Randall, Cl- Randall Cobb getting planted, at his foot in the ground and getting hit and kind of whipped around, I mean, that has nothing to do with training. It's mm-hmm. just a lot of these are kind of freak injuries, and there's not a whole lot you can do. But They're always just... in position to receive freak injuries, though. Right. Like, like uh, is their style reckless, or, or do they no, do they take no precautions in anything like i guess i I, you would have to do a ridiculously in-depth study but they have a ton of freak injuries it's the same way that the badgers lose a ton of freak games or the packers lose a, a bunch of close games in different ways but if there's a trend that the weird things that hardly ever happen always happen to you there has to be some kind of something you would think that is not being addressed, whether it's lack of awareness of injuries or if it's that the the offense is inherently dangerous, although that doesn't seem likely because there's a ton of teams that run it and their receivers aren't getting hurt all the time and they're... I don't know, but if you consistently have the rare things happen, it's a red flag to me, although trying to analyze what could overturn that is ridiculously hard. Yeah, it almost doesn't even seem worth trying to think about because it, it I don't know if you can point your finger to any one thing in particular I mean everybody around the league is getting banged up but it's it's it always seems to be us more than everybody else so I guess if anything uh, positive that comes from this is I remember in 2010 saying after all those injuries that you know the season's done we've got no chance without all these guys and then something very good happens so I guess if um, if there's anything good to take away from this is we've got some some depth on the team if we can string out some wins in the regular season, a lot of these guys can be back by the end of the regular season as long as we don't incur any more huge injuries. So mm-hmm. um, hopefully we can just fight through this regular season, just make the playoffs, just get in, and then you know, hopefully just take it from there. Unfortunately for every 2010, there's a 2002 and a 2012 and a 1998 where they these guys are too injured to do anything, and then they get in the playoffs and we're proven right. right. So... Uh, yeah, ho- I don't know. I, I think I I would see if uh, if there's any scribbled out name on the, the the degree of the head trainer and see if he wrote his own name in crayon over top of it uh, because it <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I'm tired of having to talk about this all the time for three years in a row, four years in a row. Yeah, the the one I saw one of the comments of people saying that uh, the Packers are built for December with their new running game, and to which I replied, "Who the hell's gonna be left on this team by December? <laughs> our quarterback will be Graham Harrell, and our running back will be Alex Green, whoever else we've cut in the last three years. Maybe Anthony Smith will get another chance on the team to be safety." <laughs> Okay, uh, let's talk about the offense a little bit here, and I know I was texting you early in the game, and, and they certainly uh, came back a little bit in the second half, but Aaron Rodgers had another pedestrian game, uh, 84 completion percentage, had another really bad interception, that's two in three games, which is a little bit uh, frustrating and not not necessarily concerning, but certainly perplexing given how careful he usually is with the football. The thing that, to me, is representative of this team offensively they can't seem to score in the red zone and to me it just seems like there's so many weird play calls their running game is obviously if not its strength right now it's equal with its passing game they start the game with two Eddie Lacy carries for 47 yards 
and they follow it up once they get down into Ravens territory at the Baltimore 30. After two carries for 47 yards, they run three passes out of the shotgun formation, including two in second and short and third and short. They get two incompletions and have to settle for a long field goal. I know we've mentioned in the past that they don't play situational football, but this is something we talked about in the offseason, and a lot of people have talked about, even given that the Packers now, um, I, I wasn't, let's see if I have the number right here, their rushing attack is fifth in yards and third in yards per carry right now in the entire NFL, and it still seems like they have to be dragged by their neck to actually run the football as an effective as as a means to gain yardage and having it repeatedly uh, outside of a couple times almost it's got to be like a 3 to 1 uh preference to pass versus run on these short yardage situations mm-hmm. i don't understand it right and i mean we we're getting what we've been asking for for the last 5 years just get a running game to go with Aaron Rodgers to take some pressure off of him, and Aaron Rodgers has been asking for this for years, and it just doesn't seem like it's alleviated any of the pressure because they just don't stick with it at all. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how is, are you getting four yards a pop on the ground at least? 5.2, actually, is their yeah. team average right now. 5.2 yards for Lacey in the game on Sunday, and, and he had 23 carries, so he was getting the ball, but it, it just, like you said, in those third and shorts, they just refuse to do it, and they just want that, uh, they've got that NBA mentality with the isolation. You know, every single time you need a basket at the end of the game, or in this case, a, a first down, just put it into your best player's hands and, you know, just let it happen, even though, like, in the NBA, that's a very low percentage play. They just want it in Rodgers' hands, regardless of, you know, what caution tells you, and it just doesn't seem to work out very often. And sometimes, one of the notes I have written here, uh, that I had forgotten I had mentioned, or uh, that I wrote down during the game, is a question that said, are they too creative for their own good? Uh, they had Finley blocking a defensive end up the middle on a stunt on one play that Rodgers got sacked. They had a third and one where they ran Jonathan Franklin, but they did it out of the shotgun where Rodgers rolls to the right and then pitches to Franklin, almost like a pseudo-option, completely uh, taking away any of the surprise, any of that, which you still should be able to get a yard, but... You see that a lot with a lot of their packages, and then when they're throwing the slants or when they're just running lacy on draw plays or up the middle, it seems to work. And it's almost like they need to get Gary Anderson in here or Paul Chris that says, listen, it, 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 having mentioned that, it's very reminiscent of the 2011 Rose Bowl against TCU when it's like they're trying to do all these crazy passing things when every time they give it to John Clay, he gets 12 yards. Right. <laughs> it's like stop trying to... To trick the defense, you don't need to, you're better than them. Just run your plays with your best guys, and you're going to win. And it feels yeah, like the Packers I, I can't have that in every disagree game. With you more, or I, I can't agree with you more. Um, you know, it, it's it's taking away a little bit from the, the slant game, I think, here with some injuries. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, the run game is going to keep being effective, I would think. I mean, this offensive line has been fantastic this year. So, And, um, you know, third and one, I I don't care how many times you run it. I mean, if you try a third and one run, the percentage has got to be way higher than than what we're doing right now on these these bombs and these passing plays, where it, we just end up with a bad taste in our mouth every drive and have to kick a field goal or punt. I mean, if you run it, you're definitely going to you know be a little bit more successful than we have been. Yeah, you would think so. I I would be curious to see what the conversion percentage. I think that was on one of the old podcasts we either did in the off season or earlier this year was conversion average conversion percentage on third and short or something like that. But. <clears throat> I don't remember where I put that data. 
Um, they did hit the bomb to Jordy Nelson, which I was so glad to see because they've been trying to run that play since 2011, and it never worked <laughs> last year. Um, it did make me quite disappointed in Moose Johnston uh, because these guys are supposedly watching these teams all the time, and they're studying up on their stuff, and all he could say there is like, man, must have been a blown coverage by Baltimore. I can't believe they got tricked into the backfield. I'm like, Moose, I I even wrote it down. They scored on it at least four times in 2011. I can tell you the games. They did it in Carolina. They did it against the Broncos. They did it against the Bears on Christmas night. And I'm pretty sure they did it against the Lions. It's the exact same play. Their whole offense or their whole run game from under center seems to be only to exist to set up this one throw to Jordy Nelson. And the fact that they had no idea like it was some brand new thing kind of makes... Um, you don't notice it when you're watching other teams, but when you're watching a game where they're commentating a team you watch a lot, you're like, gosh, these guys really don't know that much at all, do they? Right, yeah. I, I heard an infuriating, on the other side of the ball, I heard an infuriating comment by Jerome Bettis today on ESPN, and he was talking about how our defense hasn't improved at all this year, and that's the reason why we're not playing well. It's like, shut up, guys. It's like, Oh my gosh, we, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> it's like we watch every game, and I realize that. But I mean, if that is your job as a commentator to study these teams and watch the games, you would think you would have some kind of a clue. But yeah. like you said with Moose Johnson, I mean, that's a play that we've tried to run a million times last year and couldn't seem to to do it. But it's um yeah, and it's kind of a separate note. It yeah. is very frustrating sometimes with these guys who are supposed to be professionals. Well, no exaggeration. I'm not paid to watch these guys. I do it as a fan. And as soon as Rogers pulled the ball back. Uh, right after he made his step towards Lacey, I said, Jordy Nelson! And he threw a touchdown to Jordy. Mm-hmm. Everybody who watched Packers games know that was going to be deep middle to Jordy Nelson. Have you been paying attention? Uh, so obviously I'm a, a much more knowledgeable about the sport of football than Moose Johnson. Oh, that's that got to be the natural conclusion there. All right. Um, we we kind of talked about the offense and, and whatnot. One of the interesting comments that I kind of wanted to bring up here was about um, the team as a whole. And uh, Caleb, who's one of our great listeners and, you know, a member of our family, a great friend of ours, uh, I was texting with him about the game yesterday and just kind of throwing a text at him while I was on break at work. And I asked him, "What what should we talk about on the podcast this week? And he said, you should talk about how proud the Packers seem of themselves for this victory. And I have heard reporters and Packers and all of them talk about how great of a win this was. And it was just a fantastic win. And they were were gutted it out. They wanted a hostile environment. And I don't know how many times I heard we beat the Super Bowl champs in their house. And they certainly gutted it out. They should be proud of themselves. But... Part of me had, part of me feels like maybe they're putting too much stock into this and feel like we got our mojo back because we were able to beat the Super Bowl champs in their house. It's not quite as bad as saying you swept the 2004 Marlins in um, Miami, but it's hard for me to say we beat the Super Bowl champs when, in actuality, you beat Joe Flacco and his new three and three teammates because Ed Reed's a Texan, Ellerby's a Dolphin, Bernard Pollard I think's in Tennessee. Uh, Anquan Bolden's a Niner, Paul Kruger's with Cleveland, and Ray Lewis is on ESPN. I mean, those are your heroes of the playoffs last year. You beat Joe Flacco and his brand new band of Ravens. And I don't know about you, they certainly should be 
proud of what they did given the circumstances, but I'm not ready to say, holy smokes, they finally got this big quality win on the road. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for how frustrated we were watching, can you imagine being a Ravens fan right now? I mean, oh. just coming off a Super Bowl, I mean, the guys on Purple and Gold Forever are probably just <laughs> yeah, screaming right now. I mean, I, it was so frustrating for us to watch that game, but they were even worse, and they have some serious issues. And mm-hmm. like you said, they're they're not even a shell of the team they were last year. So you never know. I mean, they could sneak into the playoffs and make a run again. That's how the NFL works. But they sure don't seem like a very good team right now. So it's nice and all to say you beat the defending Super Bowl champions. But we've seen, you know, for the last decade and a half that defending Super Bowl champions don't necessarily come back and be the same team the next year. So yeah. it's... um. It's, it, it is a good win. Having not watched the game and maybe looking at the score, you're like, all right, nice, good win. But, I mean, it was a frustrating game to watch. It was not clean. It is kind of curious to hear them, all these players seeming to say this. And I saw, I think it was Packers.com, the headline was, good feeling after win. And I was like, that is not the feeling that I had after watching this game, and, and especially with all the injuries. So it was uh, it is kind of strange to hear all those things coming out, and they must have really hyped this game up. And hey, if that's what got them the two point win, then more power <laughs> to you. But it just definitely did not have that same feel for me, or I guess us, having mm. not been in the locker room. What would the score have been had they turned in that effort at the Superdome or at Candlestick? Oh, it would have been a complete blowout. Yeah. Yeah. So, I. I think it's fun to say you beat the defending Super Bowl champions in this house in their house and it's a signature win but oh you got I mean, yeah you have that same performance next this week against the Browns and you might lose <laughs> yeah well maybe with Brian Hoyer was in I don't know you might be able to yeah, get past probably. it with uh, Brandon Whedon. Where's my sounder of John Gruden saying this guy looks like he's 50 years old <laughs> or or whatever he said there Okay, we had some comments on the Facebook page, uh, one from Caleb, who we were mentioning before, and he said, uh, in regards to the game, I really hate all of the diving at knees that happens in games. It's really dangerous and feels pretty cheap on occasion. I realize it's hard for defensive backs to bring down guys, but you can do it without diving right at his knees. With how lame running the football is right now, maybe making a rule to protect runners wouldn't be the end of the world. The Packers have surprised me before at stepping up, but I think we're in big trouble now from injuries. With our best outside pass rushers gone, teams won't have to worry much about sacks. On the other side of the ball, losing Cobb and possibly Jones not only hurts the passing game, but is going to make it even tougher on Lacey and company. Even if we can still run effectively, Mike McCarthy won't want to in key situations, so that is sort of a moot point anyways. Um, he touches upon something that Aaron Rodgers got fired up about during the game, and that was he thought the hit on Randall Cobb was quite dirty, and I've seen many people debate uh, the idea that we've mentioned on here in the past that defensive backs are always talking, well, what am I supposed to do? I have to go low because I can't go to the head, and my response is always, well, there's a big waist and torso in the middle there. You you don't have to ha- be Darren Sharper and have horrible tackling technique, but you were a defensive back, Um what are, I guess, what are your thoughts on that, having played that position for a number of years? Well, I I, I agree with you. I mean, it's, the, the body is such a, a much bigger target than the head or the feet, but kind, kind of what we talked about on, a, I think, an episode earlier this year or before the season started is that's the easiest target to go. It's the least resistance when you hit it, and it's the easiest to take somebody down. So, I mean, a lot of these guys just have no regard for injuries, whereas... I, to me, if I went at somebody's knee and I felt that thing snap, I think I would have been sick and probably quit football. <laughs> but uh, but 
I mean, it's the easiest way to take a guy down. So that's what guys are going for, especially a guy with Rand- like Randall Cobb that you know if you don't hit him square, he's gone. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I would say that I agree with you in the fact that the the best way to bring somebody down, and I, and I hope that this is kind of the way the game changes because I'm sick of seeing these disgusting injuries all the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, the best way to take a guy down is by the waist, wrap him up, and bring him down. So I uh, I agree with Caleb a little bit. I think if there's something that they can enact to, to stop this too, I know all these NFL purists that are already pissed about the head injury stuff are going to throw a fit that you can't hit the lower half too. But like you said, the biggest part of the body is right in the middle, and that should be the easiest thing to hit. So mm-hmm. it, I'm sick of seeing torn ACLs and broken legs, and especially when half the Packers are the ones getting them. Mm-hmm. So if, if there's something the NFL can do, I would I would be happy to see that. Yeah, but I, I, I completely agree 100%. I don't necessarily think this hit was meant to be dirty. I think he was just trying to the path of least resistance, like you mentioned, yeah. uh, to try to get Randall Cobb down and, and really – Randall Cobb, if he would have been six inches further in his, uh, I guess, running uh, cycle, he would have just got clipped and he would have went up and over and he wouldn't have hyperextended his knee, which resulted in, what, a fractured uh, fibula or something. I I feel like they can enact a rule to... I mean, granted, Aaron Rodgers never gets the benefit of it, but the Tom Brady rule that exists for quarterbacks where you're not supposed to hit them below the knees or in the feet or whatever. But honestly, having watched the games in the NFL especially this last week and how inconsistent the calls are for personal fouls, for helmet-to-helmets, for low hits on quarterbacks, I think no matter what you enact, until you get the referees in order and they even overcall it, I'm okay with, these defensive players, and I would do the same thing if I were, were them, are just going to completely ignore the new rules. And they're just going to play how they always played, because we see it every Sunday. Sometimes a not helmet-to-helmet gets called, and sometimes a Brandon Merriweather uh, flying headbutt doesn't get anything. And so I think that they can enact a rule, but if they do, they have to make sure they call, call it consistently and call it often, or defensive players are just going to ignore it and... All you're going to have is the same amount of injuries, the same amount of gruesome sights on Sundays, just with more penalties, which makes everything worse. Yeah, and heck, I mean, give me the college rule. I I am perfectly fine with guys getting suspended for a game. If mm-hmm. if you go back to that replay and you can clearly see them launching with their head like Merriweather did, mm-hmm. I mean, that was an obvious cheap shot play. I mean, there's no reason the guy should be playing next week. So... I'm kind of on board with you. I'm sick of seeing these things in the game, and I know people can complain about it getting you know, weaker and that this is what the NFL is supposed to be is a physical game, but it doesn't mean we want to see guys getting crippled and maimed and yeah. not being able to live their lives after they're done playing. That almost makes me feel guilty about watching it, so I would much rather have a, uh, a game where these guys aren't you know, busting themselves in half every single week. Well, clearly you don't participate in the comments below Yahoo Sports Stories then, because they're almost the complete opposite in all of their... I almost want to... I, I don't know what I want to do, but if you ever uh, read any stories on Yahoo Sports for the NFL about injuries or about low hits or anything, you should see the lousy human beings that are commenting on those <laughs> stories. They they just want to see... you know. Apparently they thought... Um, some. Uh, apparently they want more uh, ambulances on the field and stretcher jobs and things like that. I don't know. And I, I remember when they started enacting these rules with the headshots. I, I was a little bit hesitant at first, but really it hasn't changed the game very much. Mm-hmm. And 
and I don't know if it's because we're we're getting older and maybe more wise, hopefully. But it's it's hard to watch a game when you go no guys are getting knocked out, and now you're seeing the ramifications after it from some of these older players. It's hard to watch it and cheer for that anymore. You know, you see a big shot and it's in the back of your head, like man, this guy could be really messed up after he retires from the game, and I just don't want to see that anymore. Did you happen to see that Frontline PBS special on last week? I did not. Okay, I, I happened to catch that uh, on the replay, and boy, if that'll make you change your opinion about whether or not we should watch the NFL. And I know I've, I've heard people say it was kind of heavily slanted towards the new brain research, and um, they had the Sports Legacy Institute on there, the guys who studied Mike Webster and Brian Waters, and um, similar to the research done on Junior Seau, uh, they mentioned something that they've had 40... Five, or 46 brains of deceased NFL players that they've been granted the access to study by their families, and 45 of them uh, had signs of this uh, CTE, which is basically, um, I'm not a doctor, so it, it's it's the chronic traumatic uh, encephal, encephalopathy or something like that, but it's basically the degeneration of your, your brain uh, early onset, and they found it in college kids. They found it in high school kids. And it, it legitimately made you think, as strange as it was for somebody that's as football crazed as I am and has been almost my whole life, that it made me think that not only is the future, long-term future of football in serious jeopardy, I'm not necessarily sure that over the course of a few generations that you could, especially once, you know, you and I hopefully become parents and, and you know, our, our siblings and things like that, that I'm not sure that if somebody said we're not playing high school football anymore or college football is going to be scaled back or completely changed, that 30 years down the road that I couldn't be convinced that that's a bad idea. Yeah, and I, I've heard people saying that they, they don't see the NFL going away ever just because of how insanely popular it is, but... It's definitely changing, and it seems like in the last five years or so, not only with the concussion stuff, but, you know, like we talked about last week with the, the way the game's being played offensively, mm-hmm. it's completely different than it was even ten years ago. Yeah. And, you know, with something rapidly changing so much and be, being so different from what it was and from some of the things that made it so popular, it, I could definitely see it. I mean, you hope it doesn't happen, but I, I would not be shocked at all. We've seen it with baseball recently. We've seen it with boxing before that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, these sports that you think are untouchable kind of just lose their popularity at points for different reasons. And I think boxing, kind of a lot of the same reasons, uh, obviously other other things too. But mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if, if by the time we're grandparents, the NFL is, <laughs> isn't much anymore. Well, and, and you just think about the difference between the 1905 game with the flying V and the people cracking their heads open versus mm-hmm. the Lombardi NFL versus that versus today. Uh, I mean... It could be something that completely doesn't resemble football anymore, right. um, which and and it brought up some interesting points, such as uh, the idea of like the Oregon offense, the up tempo offense that seems to be getting popular, and and, and this might have been College Game Day um, more so than the front line, but it was kind of in the same vein because everybody was on that this week because of the front line special, where they talked about how. It seems like that is a faster offense and you not, you maybe don't necessarily have the big hits and it's not the ground and pound three yards in a cloud of dust, so maybe there's not as many hits. But they mentioned that if somebody gets injured or gets dinged and gets a concussion in that super fast offense, that you might play an additional five, six plays and further expose yourself to injury before you even know what's wrong with you. 
Right. Um, and I, we're not doctors, so we don't have to go into that, but certainly some interesting things to think about. So apparently the Packers are toast because of injuries, potentially. I mean, football is going to be gone in 50 years, so <laughs> we're a very, very positive show today here on Green and Gold Forever. Should we talk about the government shutdown then while we're on these bad uh, bad topics? I think we can leave that one alone. Okay. Uh, we did have another fun uh, comment that our good fan John Bellish, he gave us an interesting uh, comment that he addressed to me, but I'd like to hear you comment on it as well. He says, Eric, how about those Giants? I know you aren't that high on, a, high on them, and now they are 0-6. And I responded with, I'm actually finding myself rooting for the Giants in, in recent games because they've been a great rival, they've been a thorn in the Packers' side. I've never hated any of the players or the coaches of the Giants. I've just been incredibly frustrated with their success. They're like one of a, a really good friend of yours who's an idiot and who's ugly, and he's good-hearted, but he finds himself uh, dating super hot women and getting super high-paying jobs. <laughs> and it feels like he doesn't necessarily deserve it, given his, given his track record and his education level and whatnot. So that's a bad analogy. But now that they're kind of getting kicked on the ground, I want them to come up and kind of fight back a little bit. And I wouldn't be, you know, I'm not counting them out yet, considering how lousy that division is. But uh, Matt, do you find yourself happy or not as happy that the Giants are now a doormat in the NFL? I guess I'm a little happy, but I, I do kind of feel bad for Eli. I mean, he's just, he just looks like that poor kid and you feel so <laughs> bad for him. And I, I think it not only that does he kind of give off that vibe, but, I mean, he's been one of the reasons why this team's been so good, and he's just awful this mm-hmm. year. I mean, he's been one of the worst players in the NFL. He's just been terrible. He hasn't been able to do anything. He's thrown the ball up for grabs. I know he doesn't have any blocking, but he's just been absolutely miserable. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of crazy to see a guy who was a sure-fire Hall of Famer last year and two years ago, and now all of a sudden is just you know, one of the worst quarterbacks in the league through six games. So it's going to be interesting to see how they turn around. I guess I wouldn't necessarily say I'm cheering for them or against them. Mm-hmm. I would like to see them miss the playoffs just because I don't want that potential matchup again. Yeah. But um, I, I, I guess you do feel a little bit bad for them. Yeah, I don't necessarily want them in the playoffs. But come on, fight back. Go 6-10 and ten or something. You know, have some pride. Um and Eli, I guess, I don't think you were saying that, but I don't think this hurts his Hall of Fame credibility at all. Uh, Brett Favre had 2005 and 2006, and he's still undoubtedly one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. So I think Eli's still safe. And honestly, as I said to John, as bad as Eli's been, I love the fact that Eli is still heaving the ball. He's had, what, 15 interceptions in the first six games? And he's still throwing it. I will take... Eli Manning over Alex Smith on a bad team any day of the week. Um, I feel like Alex Smith would have been sacked 461 times by now on the New York Giants, and he would have had about, well, maybe not that many times, but if he would have dropped back to pass 100 times, the ball probably would have left his hands about three times uh, on, on that team. I welcome the idea of these guys who aren't afraid to throw interceptions. Yeah, I mean, it definitely leads for more exciting football, but, I mean, at the same time, I think you're just making up excuses for uh, for why you think the Chiefs aren't as good as they actually are, who are sitting at 6-0 and right now. Matt, would you rather watch Eli Manning throw a bunch of interceptions or Alex Smith win a game 17-7 to with 14 six-yard passes? <laughs> I think I'd probably watch the Giants game, but I... <laughs> <laughs> I was wrong on the Chiefs, okay? I, I will admit That's all I, wanted to I was wrong say. with the Chiefs. But they still bore me to tears, and I hope Denver destroys them. 
um, because I can't stand Alex Smith. If they had a different quarterback, honestly, I think I'd probably be on their bandwagon. But Alex Smith is so boring to watch. He's like Chad Pennington, except more conservative. I, I never thought that would be possible, that somebody could be more conservative than Chad Pennington. It's brutal. Yeah, and you really don't see this work very often. It, it seems to be the way that quarterbacks get themselves out of the league. I mean, it's it's like the Sam Bradford footballer, all of these guys that, for whatever reason, just can never let it loose. Mm-hmm. But it, it's working like a charm in Kansas City right now. So it, it is kind of strange to see, and this is the kind of team that you could see, you know, make the playoffs at 11-5 this year and then going 4-12 and next year probably. But it's, uh, I mean, it's exciting to see a team like that win some games. But, yeah, I, I have not sat down and watched an entire Chiefs game yet. <laughs> Well, I mean, of course it's working right now because they've played three NFC East teams who turn the ball over like it's worth points. And they've beaten the Raiders, and they've, uh, man, they staved off the real tough Jacksonville Jaguars. Big road win there. Uh, they also, man, they went to Tennessee and beat Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Tennessee <laughs> Titans. So, I mean, this team's obviously well-tested, and I think when they take their horrible, boring high school offense to Foxborough against the Patriots, they'll fare quite well. What are you going to say if they beat the Patriots and the Broncos? If they beat the Patriots and the Broncos, I probably won't be able to speak. (laughs) (laughs) If they're in the Super Bowl, you know, I'm already on uh, some kind of a precarious relationship with the Super Bowl, given the participants it's allowed to, to grace its field the last few years. I don't know what I'll do if the Kansas City Chiefs with Alex Smith get to play there. Um, <laughs> come on. <laughs> oh, now I'm worried, but I, I, do you honestly think that has any chance of happening? No, I mean, I, I could see them make, maybe making a run to like the AFC Championship game just because of how weak I think the AFC is, but I don't think there's any way they knock off a couple of those teams like the, like New England or Denver or, oh, that's about it, I think, over there, but, so, I mean, they could potentially win a game, but yeah, there's there's no way this team is a Super Bowl team. I don't think they could beat Indianapolis either, who's probably going to win that division. Sure. Um, ugh. All right, well, um, we did have one last thing I wanted to share. Um, one of our great uh, fans uh, that's emailed us number uh, a number of times, uh, Chris Stanzale, was in uh, Baltimore this week, and he actually sent us a follow-up to his visit to Baltimore, and... He, I, I asked him because I had heard, I don't know about you, Matt, but I'd heard mixed things about the Baltimore crowd, where sometimes it's kind of rough for road fans and whatnot. Hmm. So uh, hopefully you don't mind, uh, Chris, but I'm going to read uh, some of the email that you sent me here. And he said, Simply put, the game was crazy. From potential season-ending injuries to a 60-yard touchdown bombs to conversions on 4th and 21, this game had it all. First off, I got to tell you guys that the Baltimore fans were rather calm towards Packer fans and actually somewhat embraced us. They wanted to know the tradition of the cheese head and were fascinated at the fact as to how many of us showed up. I think a rough estimate for the fan ratio was 65-35 in favor of the Ravens. No foul play occurred, at least in my section, and after the game, a few fans shook our hands and said, good game, thanks for coming. A much welcome change from the Giants and Jets fans that my family has encountered over the years. Uh, thanks, Chris, for that update, and it's good to hear you had a good experience. Uh, Matt, you and I have only been to one road game, which leads us into the game this weekend, and that is the Cleveland Browns, where the last time we played the Browns, Matt and I were in attendance in Cleveland, had a rather interesting experience, uh, (laughs) one of which included Aaron Rodgers, I believe to date still highest rated quarterback performance in the history of his career was that day in Cleveland. It was like 154 and a half. 
And so that was the most recent time we played Cleveland. I thought for the most part the fans at Cleveland were pretty nice. Uh, they had great hot dogs. Uh, a couple of bad seeds uh, are still lingering in my memory, but I, I thought the Cleveland fans were, were, were decent, I guess. Yeah, there were some brutal moments, I guess you could say. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, some of the people we sat next to were pretty nice, and it just seemed like a lot of – you think – I mean, for the people who are listening that have gone to Packer games and you think that the Packer fans get drunk, I mean, some of these guys were <laughs> – were were much worse. It's a, it's it's kind of that same thing as at Lambo. You, you wonder how these people are still functioning with how much they drink. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they weren't too bad for it to us. I mean, at least they were bad, and and they probably knew they were going to lose going in, so it wasn't too hostile. They loved but, Josh Cribbs. Yeah, they, he was like their only good player at the time, I think. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's good to hear that uh, our our fan had a good experience in Baltimore. That might be one place I'd be a little afraid to go on a road game. I yeah. think uh, the friendly confines of Lambeau are probably my favorite place to watch a game. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be buying Raiders or 49ers tickets anytime soon. That's right, or even you know, even Vikings and Bears tickets. You would imagine you probably have a pretty hard time sitting and enjoying the game there. Yeah, and I've met some nice. I, I guess I don't know that many Viking fans that I've met at the stadium. I know them in real life, and of course, you know, they're people you know in real life, so it usually doesn't get too intense. But I've met some really nice Bears fans. Actually, I, ha- I was around. A bunch of Bears fans for uh, the last game of the 2010 season, and we were kind of jarring back and forth and and kind of taking pot chats at one another. And I remember after the game, after uh, Cutler threw the game losing interception, I turned around to the guy behind me and I said, "We'll see in the NFC Championship game." And he said, "Yeah, we'll see." And I wished him that he drove home safely. And he said, "Thanks, uh, you guys." Just saying thanks or whatever And so I think there's some good fans I'm trying to think if there's any other good fan stories For opposing team fans that we've ever encountered Um, I remember we had a game Where we had two Colts fans behind us That left at like halftime Like they were from Indiana Do you remember that? Yeah Um, And I do remember in Cleveland The guy sitting to our uh, Next to us Somehow snuck in a mini bottle of Jack Daniels or Jim Beam or something yep. like that. He downed the whole thing in the first quarter, and I think he was gone after they that. Disappeared. <laughs> yeah. So I don't understand people like that. I mean, they do realize it's free to watch on television, right? Yeah. Instead of spending a hundred bucks to leave after a quarter, I can't imagine that. I mean, even the Patriots game the other night, you saw every like half the stadium leave with three minutes left, yeah. and then New England comes back to win it. I can't imagine paying for a ticket not staying till the very end, especially when something like that could happen. Yeah, and especially you would think that, like, the the Patriot game or, like, yeah, you have Tom Brady at quarterback, for one, but I'm thinking of that Colt game where those guys came up from Indiana, and getting a ticket to Lambeau Field is not the cheapest and easiest endeavor. So, right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that was a prime game. I mean, they bought their ticket. It was probably, it was probably almost 200 bucks for that game. That was a big-time Peyton Manning versus Aaron Rodgers matchup. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> whatever. I guess people got to... Uh, and watch the games in their own way. Um, is there any chance, barring a catastrophic injury to you know who, that the Packers lose this week? I don't know. I, I mean, I could see the game kind of going similar to the way the Ravens game went in terms of our offense not being able to move the ball very well. Um, the, the Browns' defense is pretty good, and Hayden's going to be out there, and we really only have one receiver left. If he can shut down Jordy, I can see this being a pretty tough offensive day for him, so I would maybe see that being the case, but I, I just think that they can't score on us with how with Brandon Whedon at quarterback, so I, I think it might be a little bit more low scoring, so I, I, I think we might have a similar feel to the to last week's game, but I, I really don't see any way they lose, and I sure hope not. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think that, barring an injury to, to the quarterback, I, I don't think the Packers really have a realistic chance of losing this game. Uh, the, the Browns are just completely inept on offense. Their defense is pretty good, so... I mean, you, you could necessarily steal one. This feels like a game that you have a, tend, a, a potential to lose if Brett Favre was still the quarterback because right. you can't rule out the four-interception game. Aaron Rodgers isn't that kind of player, so I'm not fearful that that'll happen unless Lacey and Franklin fumble six times. I don't think they're necessarily going to lose to Cleveland. They have, I don't remember his name, but that punt returner uh, is very scary for the Cleveland Browns. Um, he all, he had one against Buffalo, he almost had another one against Buffalo, and he had another big return against the Detroit Lions. So hopefully Maste, who seems to manage those dangerous returners pretty well, can come big. Because outside of that, I don't see how Cleveland really is going to have any kind of scoring threat. Yeah. Uh, but then again, you know, they play down to their opponents. This could be a, a, a clone of the win over the Detroit Lions or over the Jacksonville Jaguars last year. So I will say the Packers will win 27-13. to 13. I'm I'm almost exactly right there with you. I was going to say 27 to 10. So okay. I, I think yeah, a pretty slow-paced offensive day. And unless of course Aaron Rodgers is just sick of the way the game's gone the last couple of weeks and just decides <laughs> to completely light it up. But yeah. I think uh, a little bit more low scoring. I'll say 27 10. Okay, so I guess we're on the same page. And I I, I guess I really don't have anything else. Uh, update if you have the Yahoo fantasy football app make sure you get the updates because the previous version doesn't save your changes and had my changes been saved i would have won last week instead of oh no i had steven ridley who i put in the game and then he was on the bench he got 23 points i lost by like 20 20 points so uh that was a rough one for me i guess sorry about that i am the commissioner so i could cheat if i wanted to but i feel like it's in the best interest of the league that i'm not going to be that kind of commissioner so Okay, you got anything else this week, Matt? I got nothing. Okay, me either. Uh, I guess I apologize for this being a very disorganized, messy podcast. The one day off apparently has affected my ability to think clearly, so <laughs> I, I guess I'll apologize for that. But hopefully you've enjoyed this show somewhat, and I anticipate that next week we'll be able to talk about another Green Bay Packers victory as they inch closer to the top of the NFC North and hopefully can continue to improve and hopefully... Uh, remain healthy and get some key guys back and maybe make a little bit of a playoff run as 2013 turns on. So for Matt out in Eau Claire, I am Eric in Oshkosh, and we'll see you next week. Take care, everyone.